0: Please open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, as we have been for the last several weeks going through the book of Acts. We have several visitors this morning, so, and this is a good reminder for us as well. We do go through books of the Bible as a church, and we will spend some time in Acts, and the reason we do that is because we want to see the whole story of Scripture. We go through New Testament books, Old Testament books, and so. This is just a pattern that we have, and we will continue through the Book of Acts for the next several months. We'll be looking at the entirety of Acts three today. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer, ask for His help with the text. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to uh, Your Word, we pray that You would help us with it. As we have been reminded this morning, Your Word is called a sword in. The scriptures it is called the sword of the spirit and it is to be our weapon when it comes to dealing with evil in the culture today and then even in our own lives so many times we would rather craft a weapon of our own making because we are unsatisfied with your word or because we just simply don't like what it has to say to us and lord we beg your forgiveness this morning for that we pray that you would cause us to cling more closely to your word it's it's truth it's wisdom lord please open it up to us this morning as we dig into it that you would teach us from it that you would convict our hearts of sin that we might walk closer with you it's in jesus name we pray amen so as i read through this passage this week uh, it made me think of this tribe off the coast of India. Uh, they're called the Sentinelese tribe. And though they are well known to the outside world, they're, they're well documented, at least the fact that they exist is well documented. They have absolutely refused to acknowledge the presence of the outside world. There have been few, a few instances of friendly contact with the tribe, but most of those instant, most of the contact with this particular tribe has been hostile, um, like very hostile. I'll give you a few examples: a group from National Geographic wanted to do some sort of documentary that involved this Sentinelese tribe, so they took a film crew. They actually took some gifts with them, perhaps to like sway the tribe, and the gifts were not kidding: a live pig some coconuts, some cookware, and a doll. The Sentinelese killed and the pig and buried it. They didn't eat it. They did eat the coconuts, apparently, but they buried the doll and they kept the cookware. And on the way out, the film crew were shot at. They finally realized they probably should not, and arrows shot arrow. The, the director was actually shot through the thigh on their way out and they realized that maybe they should leave them out of the documentary. Um more recently, two fishermen were killed off the coast of this island just because they were there fishing. And the Indian government has basically said that didn't happen because they don't want anything to do with this, this tribe. And this, this is a very small tribe. It's a dying tribe. They kind of fly over it with helicopters every once in a while. And then they get their helicopter gets shot at with arrows every time. And they, they're dying. The tribe is shrinking. Over and over again, this tribal group has chosen to be ignorant of the outside world, though in many ways, and I know maybe the argument is, well, the outside world would corrupt them and harm them, but in many ways, this tribe, which is dying, would be helped if they had just a little bit of influence from the outside world. In our passage today, Peter and John are together when they heal a man who has been crippled. From birth, the many stand around and are amazed at this. And they even wonder out loud, how could this thing, how could this sort of thing happen? Is what they said. Peter caused them to repent. Why? For not recognizing the work of God or recognizing the Holy One, Jesus Christ. Like Israel in our passage, I think many times we remain willfully ignorant. ...of the power of God to save and to change lives and hearts of those around us. We'd be willing to bet that it was something else that led to their change. Well, they got a new job, or they came into some money, or they've got this relationship now, and that's why things are going really well. We might even be stuck in the opposite direction, failing to see the spiritual significance of the fact that many people that we know are quote-unquote stuck... In life for some spiritual reason. Rather than a physical reason. There's this whole world. Beyond what we can see. And the people of Israel. Had their fill of that world. Right? With Jesus. And they crucified him because of it. And now that they have his disciples. To contend with. They're getting much the same from them. Healings. And preaching of the gospel. And hope. And all these great things. And what are they doing? They're ignoring it. Prophecies of the Old Testament are coming to life before them, yet they remain ignorant of what's going on. How can we stop this in our own lives? we look at this passage, we're going to answer that question in others. I want to consider the text with three main ideas. Jesus, the author of life. Jesus, the prophesied Messiah. And Jesus, the blessing of nations. And so, with that, let's read the text, Acts chapter 3 in its entirety. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they'd laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him and as did John and said, "Look at us." And he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them, but Peter said, "I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk." And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them, or to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer. To be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and His name, by faith in His name, has made this this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you act in ignorance. I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him, all that he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So quickly, just to consider kind of what's going on before we dig into Peter's message here. We don't know a whole lot about how much time passed since the events of Pentecost there in, at the beginning of chapter 2. But in this story, two of the apostles, arguably probably the leaders of the, of the movement, of the Christian movement there, of the apostles, together in the temple in the middle of the afternoon at the time of prayer, not an uncommon thing, and they see this man who has been lame from birth, maybe some sort of genetic disorder, some sort of an infirmity, whatever it was. He had been lame from birth and note that he didn't just have a sore back or a pinched nerve. He was, such, he was crippled so that the people like came out and they brought him to the temple every day so that he could work and his work was begging for money. Interesting that the gate was called beautiful and there laying next to it was a man and probably others like him that represented a less than beautiful portion of the society then. People who were crippled in those days were not given any sort of any sort of anything really, other than to just beg, and their only hope was the generosity of others. We know how we feel when we see someone like this, right? This kind of process that we go through, a bit of twinge because it shocks us, then pity, and then some helplessness, right? That's kind of the progression that goes. Maybe we're tempted, maybe uh, we're tempted, the others that passed him by, just like the others that passed him by, to maybe throw a coin or two, or whatever that looks like in our own days today, in the hopes that our coin represents our good deed for the day, a bit of towards helping them. Well, here's some money. Just go. This was become the norm for this man, I'm sure, right? I just want your money. I don't want anything else from you. This is the norm for many of the invalids of the day. If you didn't work, you didn't eat. Again, you had to beg. So, as Peter and John walked by, Peter and John probably weren't the wealthiest of men. They were fishermen, and since... Uh, Christ's coming and particularly since Christ's ascension they probably had been doing a whole lot less fishing because of the new commission that, had, that Jesus had given them we don't know for sure but we do probably understand that fishermen probably wasn't one of the most lucrative professions in those days nonetheless they noticed this man this man asked them for alms the text says that they directed their gaze at him but for Peter This cycle of shock, pity, and then here's some money, was broken. What does Peter say? I don't have any money. Silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man did. He rose up and walked. And he didn't just walk. He leapt and he danced his way into the temple and the people that had just passed him on their way into the temple were amazed imagine what they were thinking wow I guess he finally found someone to help him. verse 10 says that they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him and what's Peter's question to them Imagine this happening in our own setting, right? Someone who we knew that was crippled from birth and all of a sudden they walk in dancing. Don't just walk in, they're like dancing and praising the Lord. Would we not wonder what had gone on in their lives? Absolutely, we would. And what's Peter's question? Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why are you staring at us? How could you not wonder, Peter? Have you read... Maybe you read this and you thought that Peter wasn't being very fair to the people there. That's my first thought. If someone, again, how would we think? We would wonder, what's going on? Why are they walking all of a sudden? Better yet, if someone we knew who had walked in sin and darkness but now walked with Jesus, how would we react then? Does that amaze us more? I don't know. I think the text shows some of our hardness, the hardness in our own hearts. As we see the hard-hearted Israelites here. And that brings me to the first point. Jesus, the author of life. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. This appealed to the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the other fathers Was a very common device used in these early sermons by the apostles Why is that? Because it ties together what's going on here in the present day In the New Testament and Acts With what had gone on in the Old Testament Which for them wasn't the Old Testament It was just the scriptures Because that's what they had, right? They hadn't written the New Testament yet But what was Peter doing? Let's make sure you understand that this thing that you call the scriptures contains the words about the one whom you just crucified. It's about Jesus. They wanted to make sure they understood there's no difference there. The church would do well, obviously, to understand that now. There's not two versions of God or two way different ways that he handles his people. Peter, again, is preaching Christ from the Old Testament. Because Jesus is the promise of the Old Testament. Our understanding of that, brothers and sisters, is key to our own growth. Until we do that, we've got locked up about two-thirds of the scriptures or more. We need to understand that in order to grow as believers. Also, we can't properly share the gospel without that understanding. The apostles teach us this. How do they share the gospel? The Old Testament, the prophets. Notice how Peter ties together. The Old Testament and Peter and Jesus' death. He puts it to them. They denied Jesus, the only one who was holy and righteous. What did they know about themselves? They were not holy. They were not righteous. Jesus was the only one. They exchanged, what did they exchange? A murdering thief, Barabbas, for the holy and righteous one, Jesus. Peter's putting it right to them. Paul's later going to write about this, is he not? In Romans chapter one, they exchange the truth about God for a lie. They worship the creature rather than the Creator. The unbeliever still does this. We as believers still struggle with this. Then he gives them this ultimate juxtaposition, there in verse fifteen, and you killed. You murdered. You removed life from the author of life, and God raised from the dead. With this, we are witnesses. You murdered the one who gives life, the ultimate source of life. You took his life from him. But as you'd expect, can the ultimate source of life actually go away? No, the one who gives life cannot be kept down. God rose him up from the dead as was prophesied from Genesis all the way through Malachi. So the question for us, how does this message change the way that we talk about what's going on in the world today? And I think Todd talking about the conference really led up well to this idea. How does Peter's message... What is Peter doing here? He's using this message to share the gospel with the people that are there. How does this message change in the problems of our world today? Lose loved ones. People suddenly die. How does the hope of the resurrection make something like that at least somewhat bearable down the road? When someone is strung out on drugs or alcohol, what hope... Does the author of life, Jesus Christ, give for that? We all know people that are struggling with these types of things that seem so horrible to us. Because they are. To put it another way, let's put it the opposite way. If Jesus is still in the grave that you and I could go visit, this is the tomb of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Do we, brothers and sisters, have any hope at all? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul answers that question. Start at verse 12 and read through 19. This whole chapter is about the resurrection. I encourage you to, to read through that today. We'll read these seven or eight verses, uh, 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say then that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, listen, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ is still dead, what does this passage tell us? Let's sum it up. We're doomed. He's still going to judge us according to our sins, which for me, I'd already be out this morning. We are to be pitied above all. If the resurrection is not true. Why? Because we've placed our hope in something that's failing. If Jesus is still dead, then he failed. He's in the tomb. Our hope is gone. We've reached out to grab something that can't hold us, that can't sustain us. However, if he is risen, then what? Then there is no other hope. The only possible hope for the dying world is the God-man, Jesus Christ, risen From the dead. There is hope in this life. Because we know what. Concerning death. It's defeated. And in Christ. We have hope for life eternal. There's hope for every trial in life. Why? Because those trials do not define. The believer. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Defines the believer. Take that person who's struggling with alcohol, the alcoholic. What are they placing their hope in? Alcohol to save them. But what is it doing instead? It's daily punishing them for the false hopes that they have. What does Christ offer instead? Grace and mercy, peace everlasting, the hope for this life and for the one to come. The patriarchs knew this. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the fathers, they knew this. Peter and John knew this. And now we know this, and this should be our message absolutely. To sit on this message in any way, brothers and sisters, is akin to letting someone starve standing in front of us while we're holding 10 loaves of bread. It doesn't make any sense, it's immoral. And that brings us to the next point Jesus, the prophesied Messiah. Look with me at verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Peter gives them a little bit of a pass here. They acted in ignorance, meaning, what does that mean? Well, they're dead in their trespasses. They didn't know any better. They acted like unbelievers. But Peter quickly lets them know who talked about Jesus. Who was it that talked about Jesus? Verse 18, but God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer. And he thus fulfilled. He let them know that the prophets foretold the coming of Jesus. Jesus said this too, did he not? That Moses and all the prophets spoke about his coming. He even opened up the scriptures and showed others. We read a couple of times in the gospels. That he sat down with people and he showed him from the scriptures, his own prophecies. Would have been great to have been there. What should their responses be then, the people that are there that did not see this work of God, that kind of passed it off as something else? What should be their response? Repentance. Verse 19, repent therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The proper response for anyone who is seeing this truth at all, including you as a believer, is to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ. Peter quotes from Moses. He prophesied about this prophet that is to come in Deuteronomy 18. He mentions and includes all the prophets, all the way back from Samuel. We just got, we went through 1 Samuel already. We read about Jesus in 1 Samuel, did we not? All, even all the prophets being preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the question to you, as the church today, how do we bring this to bear to those who are hurting in our world today? The same way that Peter did. I think it's easy for us to attempt to ignore the world around us. To just discount it. We do it all the time, do we not? When we say things like, well, those people have to want to help themselves before we can help them. Or maybe we put our own piety in the mix. Well, if they just made better life decisions, they wouldn't be in this predicament. What do we really mean when we say that? If they made decisions like me, then they wouldn't be in this predicament. If they could just learn to help themselves, then maybe I could help them. Why do we say things like that? because we don't believe the gospel because we see our own life decisions as the reason that we are in the place that we are in we see our own position as a result of the fact that we decided to help ourselves what did Peter warn them about men of Israel why do you stare at us as though our own power and our own piety made him walk Why do we stare at others as if their goodness is going to help them? We're just like those that would have been staring because we really only believe two things. We're doing better because we're good people. They're doing bad because they're bad people. Let's be honest with ourselves. But what's the truth of the gospel? We're all bad people. We all deserve hell. But the mercy of God shined on us. For whatever reason, he saw fit to pull out the lifeless corpse from the pit of death and bring us to life in Christ Jesus. Not only that, but he immediately equipped us, immediately, with that same truth of the gospel. So that means we might do what? Go share it with others. To see them be made new as well. You ever wonder why new believers are so eager to share the gospel? I think it's because they haven't allowed anything to weigh them down yet. Thinking they're good. or Thinking they're better. They're unhindered. They're still so near to being saved. They understand. They remember what it was like. They want others to have this. Do you think Lazarus? I mentioned Lazarus this morning. Do you think Lazarus went back to just a normal existence after Jesus rose him from the dead? Oh good, I can go back to my ho home now. No. He didn't do that. Why is it that we settle into the mundane so quickly when it comes to the gospel? Because we forget that we were once dead in our trespasses, that he pulled us up from the miry pit. Brothers and sisters, we have the very words of life from the author of life. And we have the one who speaks them with us, in us. Let us be bold. Like these apostles who used every single opportunity to share the truth of Jesus. That brings us to the last point, Jesus, the blessing of nations. Verse 25. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first. To bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Peter reminds them the truth of the covenant that God made with Abraham. This great Hebrew patriarch, right? Talked about this in Sunday school last week, so it should be fresh for many of you. Who is Peter saying is the fulfillment of this prophecy to Abraham? This blessing of the nations. In your offspring shall all the families be blessed. Who is this blessing to come? Ultimately, he's pointing to which offspring of Abraham? Jesus Christ, who came to save all his children, not just the Jews, but all of his people from their sin. But he did go to the Jews first, what Peter brings out here. And what is his blessing? What is this blessing that he brings? To bless you, verse 26, by... Turning every one of you from your wickedness. What is this blessing? By asking you nicely to turn away from your wickedness. Is that what it says? No. Because if we were asked nicely to turn away from our wickedness, would we do that? I've been proving that since I was two. That I don't, when I'm asked nicely to do something, or even not so nicely... I don't necessarily want to do that thing. No, that's not what it says. Because left up to our own device, we would never make that choice. We were dead in our trespasses. We loved sin. We were children of wrath. The blessing is that he turns us from our wickedness. He calls us to repent. He calls us to believe. And that repentance and that faith is the very gift that he gives to us. The very thing he requires of us is what he gives us. Isn't that incredible? Is this what the world does? People, money, prestige, any of these things that we seek after? Do they give us the thing that they require of us? No. These things continue to require more and more of you. They never give you the things that they require. Yet our Savior, the author of life, the creator of the world the only one whom we owe any allegiance to requires faith and, and repentance and those are the things that he offers to us freely do we have to work for them do we have to work to keep them no we need only call upon his name deny ourselves recognize him as Lord not us To do this is life. To deny Him or to deny ourselves and to affirm Him is life of the eternal kind. And it's free and wonderful. Do you believe that? That is the question for each of you today. Because the opposite, there's no middle. There isn't a choice here. Uh, Maybe I can just kind of do this sometimes and kind of not others. No. Because to deny him to affirm ourselves is to die and face him one day and have your own works to be judged by. To deny him is death of the eternal kind because even your best works will not be able to stand. Do you believe that? That's the question. Scriptures say that Jesus Christ became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. What do we have to re- to do to receive that? Call upon his name and you can be saved. His name is the only one by which man can be saved. In conclusion, Paul says that we have this treasure, the gospel, in jars of clay jars of clay are not very spectacular things that's who we are by the way and why do we have that to show that the surpassing power belongs to God not us this is the message that we have first and foremost church this message is for us do not we do not stop needing it all of a sudden We need to be reminded that it is not our own piety, our own goodness. It is still Jesus. When we come to that realization, we will be more and more ready to tell others. But we'll never be fully convinced this side of heaven because we're hard-headed. But we're going to tell others anyway. What the folks saw that day, the lame man made to dance, is just a picture of what the Lord will do to those who call upon his name. So, brothers and sisters, share the name of Jesus. Let's go to him in prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, I admit that oftentimes I think that it is something in me that makes me who I am. But it's not. It's you. You are the difference between me and the unbeliever, not me. And so, Lord, help us to share that truth. We are just beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us, give us the boldness, give us the mercy to do so. Lord, help us to rely on your word and your word alone for this truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.